this morning, Lord. Um, I pray that these moments will be moments where, where you speak to our hearts, Lord God, and that we've all gathered in this place. And uh, we gather under your name, Jesus. And I just want to want to know your heart. Um, and I pray that, that our ears would be open, our minds would be open, that that um, that we would hear directly from your heart this morning, speaking into where we're at, Lord. We do exalt you, Lord. We do want the, the, the noise, the sound that we make before you to be pleasing in, in your ears, Lord. But we also we also want, Lord, your voice to be pleasing to us. Um, like for us to find our delight and our joy in, in your word and in obedience to it and, and what it says. And we thank you that you've even spoken to us. We thank you that you've shown us where we, why we exist and, and your purposes and your plans for us, Lord God, and that you lead us through your word. And just pray that these moments that we have to... Um, to look at what you say, to look at what you want. I pray that um, that we would genuinely come away, Lord, having heard from the Lord. And our lives be shaped in response in, in your son's name. Amen. So let me read uh, the scripture that we're gonna we're gonna spend this morning uh, considering and put it out there and then we'll um, we'll get back to it. So it's a, a few verses from, from Genesis, um, mostly in chapter one and some of chapter two. So just let me read it out. Um, so very beginning, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds of the sky, over the livestock, and all the wild animals, and over the creatures that move along the ground. So, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and the female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, and increase in number, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then in Genesis 2 it says, Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden in the east of Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And this morning, what we want to look at is, is this, this practice that we've written on the top of the screen there, that we work with holy intent, right? It's the last of the series of practices that we've been working through, which are things that we're saying we're committed to long-term as Christians, as followers of Jesus, as Liberty Church, these are the things that we want to see established in our lives. So there's the things that are in there that are predictable, right? If anyone was to write a list that, like prayer, worship, fellowship, and other things that are less predictable, like we talked about the practice of forgiveness, the practices of generosity, these things that Jesus has commanded on his church that are things we need to practice to get, to get good at, and our ways of participating in what Jesus wants from us. Um, but this one, um, it's full of potential, right? And put it in at the end, we work with holy intent. When you think about it, the majority of your life, probably second only to, or maybe overtaken, sleeping, is like where you spend your time is in, is in work, yeah? Maybe you get eight hours of sleep a night or six or seven, but then you spend eight or nine hours a, a day in work for the majority of your life until you, until you retire or whatever. Um, and we're kind of conditioned, I think, as Christians, to separate our lives into, into, into little sections, you know, like there's the, 
the sacred stuff we do, so the prayer and the worship and the coming to church on Sunday and the stuff we do there, and then there's the secular stuff we do, that we do to put food on the table, the job we do, the way that we make money, or the way that we look after our families, or whatever it is that we spend our time doing. Um, and there's this kind of dualism that, that emerges. This is the God stuff, and this is the, the other stuff that God's maybe not interested in. And we don't see the importance of work from a, a spiritual perspective. But I'm convinced from Scripture, from Scripture we're going to look at this morning, from the whole story of the Bible, that God is interested in what you do at all times, in all places. That he wants to be with you, he wants you to know his presence in it, he wants you to know purpose in it. He wants it to not just be something that's divorced from the reality of your spiritual life, but something that enhances it in a way that you can experience and know God. That we get to work with holy intent. There seems to just be, though, to us, like, work and then the rest of our lives. And can I say at the outset that I'm not just talking about work, like, because there's many people, people in this room may be retired, people in this room may be unemployed, people in this room may do work that you don't get paid for in terms of raising a family. I'm talking whatever it is that you do with your day, whatever it is like that, that your energy goes into, your effort goes into, the responsibilities you have, things that you're produced with your hands. That's what I'm talking about when I say work, not just necessarily a nine-to-five that you get a paycheck for, right? But, um, yeah, I tend to have this, this split. And can I also say, I don't think it's intentional, right? I don't think there's anyone in this room who, like, intentionally says, Jesus, you don't have anything got to do with work. Yeah, you don't, like, I don't want you to have anything got to do with what I do from the 9 to 5. I'm putting you in this box and keeping you outside. It's probably more that we don't fully maybe understand or appreciate or even expect that God might be interested in our work. If I asked you, like, what are the things you do that please the Lord, you would likely rattle off, like, I worship, I read my Bible, I, I do this. But, like, what if there was God had, had delight in the work that you actually do, the things that you have to do, which is then? And I think there's, there's something revolutionary in that, right? There's something that could change our whole perspective, because the world is looking to just achieve, like, a work-life balance. Even that phrase, right, work-life balance, means that, like, there's work and then there's life. You don't see work as life, yeah? It's like something that you have to do to get to, to live the life. But then, but God wants to be involved in the whole thing. And as Christians, we have this opportunity to see our work from the perspective that God created it, yeah? And so, yeah, that's what we want to do. That's the way we want it. Like, why it's one of our practices that typically when you look at church and the way that I might disciple people or whatever, we might say, we'll disciple you through Bible studies and we'll disciple you through Sunday mornings and evenings and weekend stuff. And church is generally good at um, preparing us for more church stuff. What it generally isn't as good at is preparing us for the everyday stuff of life, for the jobs that we do, the 9 to 5s, the 40, 50, 60 hours a week we put into it. Or when it, when it does, right, and this is, this, this is good stuff with the best of intention, and there's some truth in it, but you ever find that, like, some truth, short of the whole truth, like, just doesn't satisfy in the way that it should, and maybe this has been your experience in work, because when we talk generally about it from a church perspective, someone gets up and preaches on it, usually we'll try and equip people in, like, either to see work as, like, a place where your evangelism goes on, or a place where you exercise your ethics, so, like, an evangelistic approach or an ethical approach. And in evangelistic stuff, we might say stuff like, your workplace exists for you to be there as a representative of Jesus and to lead people in your workplace to Jesus. Is that true? Yes. That's 
God placed you in that space where you can do that, yes. But what happens is most of us live with some background guilt going on because through all your work in life you never led anyone to Jesus in your workplace, right? And you just, you're like, so, so we feel guilty and then there's more a tendency to just separate it and throw the church stuff and that's the church stuff and the work stuff. It's separate. Or the ethical approach where we say your workplace exists as a space for you to live according to the ethics of the kingdom of God rather than the ethics of the world. Is that true? Yes. Absolutely it's true. But that's nuanced and it's tough. And it's more than somebody just standing up and saying, like, it's lived out in like the relationships, the, 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 the micro like interactions you have with people day by day and the big stuff. It's more than just not putting your hand in the till and, and robbing stuff. It's more that it's like the love that you show to people. And it's like, it's vast is what I'm trying to say. And because it's vast, I think very often we don't. Church hasn't served people particularly well, I don't think, in terms of how to equip them to live in a workplace as ambassadors for the kingdom, as people who live for Jesus before others, as people who live as ethics, ethical people. But we're missing a whole other other potential of it. It's not just a space where you go on mission, devoid of being with God. Rather, it's somewhere where God would want to be with you and would want to be uh, known by you, would want to see even your work as, as worship. I'm not putting my hands up, right, because then there's also the elephant in the room. Well, it's easy for you to say, Rob, right, because your job is to work for the church, right? It's handy to see, like, that's what you're... And that's how I ended up working for the church. That's how, how God moved me into that space. I was working as an engineer, and I was giving church, like, weekends and evenings, the tired parts of my day and weekend, and it felt like the most important thing in the world to me. And I'm like, I'm giving the church this stuff that's, like, the end of my time, and I'm giving the rest of my time to doing a job that I kind of enjoy, but really, at the end of the day, just makes money for a company. Like, the best of my effort is going towards, towards that. And at the time, I didn't see this perspective of faith and work. I didn't understand it. Um, and I'm not saying I was right to leave my job and go and work for the church, but the means by which the Lord got me there wasn't necessarily a theologically true means, yeah? He used some other way to like, get me out of that space um, and into, into serving the church. Um, but for the majority of us, for all of us, we're called to live like in the world. We're called to work with our hands. We're called to be productive. We're called to, to work jobs. Work originates with God. Work isn't something to escape. And that, in fact, the Bible holds out that work is, is, is a way of worshiping God. That we could see our work as, as our worship. If we get to, um, like, to, to the scripture that we all know with here, even the scripture before it, right? You look at the beginning, the beginnings of things. And that's a good place to look, right? Because the Bible is this, this overarching story. There's like creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That's the narrative that from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible flows in. We look back at creation to see what the intent was. And we also see then how it fell. How, like our, how our understanding and our experience of work has got corrupted. Then we see Jesus coming and restoring all things until he returns in fall and there's a new heaven and a new earth, right? But when we look back at creation, you get to see, like, in the beginnings, in the purest sense of things, until they're restored in fall, what was it meant to look like? And, and Genesis 1 opens up with God at work. So we see God at work. It's described as work. Of him creating the heavens and the earth. And work with a satisfaction. It's just like this uh, recurring like, theme that's like, and he saw that it was good. You know that? Like on the first day he created the heavens and the earth and he saw that it was good. And then he created the seas and the land and he saw that it was good. Then he created vegetation and he saw that it was good. And humanity and he saw that it was very good. There's this pattern of God making something and seeing that it's, it's good. And that resonates with us, I think. 
Like, I don't know, maybe your job doesn't give you that feeling of satisfaction, but I guarantee there's something at some point that you've made or done, something you put some sweat or effort or energy or intellect into, and you've saw and took just satisfaction in. I made that thing. That's, that's a good thing. Even if, like, it's in your house. Has anyone ever, like, decorated a room, and then when it's finished, and before you go to bed at night, you just go back in and look at the room again, right? Like, just in its pristine thing, and there's, like, just a feeling of, I did that. I saw that, like, I see that it's good, the thing that I, I made. And I think that's part of what it means when God says that he created us in his image. To know a satisfaction from, from our work. The God of the Bible, like, works. And that's, we probably don't have a picture of God like that. We probably have a picture of God like the other gods of other religions who sits up on a cloud with his feet up, looking like other gods... In other religions, other ancient religions, the idea of a god working was nuts. The gods were those who sat up there, who the Roman gods were like eating grapes and looking down on humanity, like relaxing. But the Christian God is a God who's revealed as being at work in creation and in sustaining all things. And then it says that he made us in his image, and I think part of that is this creative like capacity that that he's he's given us. There's um, an article this guy Japani who says this. The greatest difference anthropologists have found between humans and animals um, is not that we have our own language or that we can make tools. Studies have shown that animals can do that too. It's that we're the only ones who create things simply because they are beautiful. That's one of the things that separates humanity from the rest of creation. We look like a lot of the other animals. So can't, when God says he created us in his own image, can't just mean God looks physically more like a human than like a tree or whatever, right? It's like, because we look like, like a lot of the other animals, a lot of features of the other animals, right? Um, so what's it mean that he created us in his image? It's that God creates us with a, a spirit, that we're spiritually alive, and that he gives us this mandate. You see that the work that he began to do, right? He creates this world, and then he puts us in it with the intention of continuing on the work that he started. So God creates the world, and then he says to them, like, he blesses them, says, Be fruitful and increase the number of the earth and subdue it. Bring over the fish to see the birds in the sky, or wherever you little creature that moves on the ground. That he's intentional about, about the reason the Bible tells us effectively for the creation of man is that God would enjoy relationship with them, that he could create someone in his image and give us this gift of planet earth to go and multiply in and be fruitful in and rule over and utilize and create. Um, and that's a huge, that's a huge thing. It's a huge privilege. It's in that that we're like God. It's meant to be an expression of the idea, of the identity that God has given us. That to have the capacity for meaningful work is what it means to be to be human. It's a blessing. We call that thing the cultural mandate, right? That that humanity was meant to to go and continue to create. And then you see, so we tell that story in Genesis one. Then Genesis two, there's like a more in depth like a perspective of how God created mankind. And you see again the nature of work in it. It says, like, no, nothing had grown in the world because, like, the, the God hadn't sent rain yet. It says, God planted a garden in the east, it says in Eden, and then he forms man out of the dust and he puts him in the garden to work. The garden. Like, the purpose at the beginning is work. What I'm trying to get across is that in Eden, right, in the, in the idealistic, we think, I don't know, I think, I think perhaps we think, you know, if the fall had never happened, we'd still be floating around the garden with no clothes on, doing like whatever that, that initial work was. But the intention was 
like all work starts with agriculture. You, you, can't, you, can't, you can't develop culture or language or clothes unless you eat. So God plants the garden and gives them it to work. But the intention was that the city that we see in Revelation like would have happened like like grown from the garden, that, that, that technology would have increased and language would have increased and culture and eventually there would be engineers and architects and computer programmers and all this sort of stuff. It's not that we would have stayed in, in some sort of idyllic space in a garden just eating fruit, that we would expand out into the earth. He says, go and fill it, subdue it, rule over it, multiply that. The work of your hands is meant to continue to curate what I have created, to continue to, to, to bring forth fruitfulness from, from what I've made and what I've gifted you and what I've, I've given you. That God's work and our work is, is integrated. I'll plant this thing, you work after it, you look after it, you, you, you develop. And so that's, that's the mandate we have, right? That's the, 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 the intent that humanity has, that we, will, that we will work and be productive and be creative and make things, be able to look on them and see that they're good. And not just that we see that we're good and that we have it's good and we have like a, a, an internal satisfaction. Because um, we see like after just the fall, we see then man, we create a name for ourselves, Tower of Babel stuff, where man's work takes on a function that it was never meant to fulfill. As in man looks to work to create his identity rather than working because of the identity he's been given in God. And that's the curse of work we're still under. How many people are working trying to prove themselves? Working trying to earn their way? Working trying to accomplish their own comfort, their own security? All this stuff that God offers us as identity. Instead we try and like look to work to give it to us. Right? But the work that he gave us with the, at the beginning has the purpose of bringing, of bringing glory to God. Now, I'm aware, I'm aware when I say that stuff, right? There's stuff like, maybe you think like somebody, uh, somebody like painted some masterpiece that's a picture and helps people understand God, like it's work that gives glory to God. But how does, like, this week, this week Patrice was away, right? So I am doing some of the work in the house that she usually does, right? How does having to do seven washing machine loads of stuff bring glory to God? Or our dog is shedding, right? So how does like, brushing the hair off the floor for the dog only to half an hour later there's more hair on the floor and brushing it again? How does, how does that bring glory to, to God? But he's intended that whatever it is that we do, it's a, it's not good the things that we do, it's about the, the way that we, the way that we do them, it's the perspective that we have as we engage in this stuff, that it can bring glory. Even, I use that language and we speak Christianese, like, bring glory to God. What does that even mean? That God already has all the glory. I can't give glory to, I can't make God more, more glorious. But in terms of work bringing glory, what, it, what, it, what, it, what it's meant to draw out of us, right, is that as we work, we have the potential to be able to see more and more of the genius and the greatness and the beauty and the wonder of who, of who God is. That should be the motivation for, for what we do when we get up in the morning, or whatever it is that God has entrusted us with. That as people developed like language, or as, as scientists like look further and see, see, see more stars and understand how big the galaxy is, that the end result of that is what more glory goes to God because we understand just how expansive stuff is. And where we thought at one time it incredible that God holds the, the world in the palm of his hands, then you see the size of the galaxy and you realise just how great God is. So when scientists like split the atom and look down ready to see at the subatomic level what's happening, we see the intricacy and just the, the way the way the, the, the limits of even human like understanding can grasp what's going on at that level. And we see that God forms it and God holds all things 
together. Like it reveals more and more of God's glory that gives glory to him. And not just in like big scientific discoveries or whatever, but, but in any of us who are parents and in between the tantrums and the hard times of being like having a kid or whatever, and you look just in wonder in their eyes and realise like, I'm, like I made that kid. That kid is somehow part of my my DNA and God has blessed us with it. And the miracle of even guys of life, the miracle that our bodies, the atoms in our bodies don't just like fly off into different directions. That, they form tissues and organs and systems and that we can even sit here and perceive and, and like neurons firing in our brain like like all of this stuff like as we understand it as we create with it as we utilize it like it's meant to like bring us to a space of like of humble worship before god gratitude for the world that he's created and his capacity he's given us to explore it and that our work then becomes an exploration of god's of god's glory that he's revealed, that he's like trapped up in creation and given us the job of expanding it, exploring, uh, exploring it, and understanding it. Even if your work is, uh, even if your work is repetitive, putting flyers through through uh, through doors every day. My ma used to work in a toothpaste factory. She kept screwing like assembly lines, screwing tops onto toothpaste bottles. Right? That it's not about the things. It's not about the things that you do. It's not about having to do some magnificent, incredible, amazing things. The perspective with which we get to work in the world. That God would continue to look on all he made and we continue to make with what he gave us and see that it's, it's good. Everything can be done for the glory of God is what I'm trying to say to you and become wondrous to us. To, and if your job isn't wondrous to you, I would say that it's not necessarily that you need a new job but that you need a new perspective. Because God is at work in our work. You know, I was um, challenged by this week as I, as I, as I wrote this, this sermon. There's, a, there's some Bible, Bible verse, right? That, so Jesus was healing some people on the Sabbath and people gave out to him about the Pharisees and all. And he's like, look, my father has been at work. Here's what he says. He says, look, my father's at work and he's been at work even to this day. Giving us some insight into what God is doing. He's consistently involved in stuff. And then he says to this, truly I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. Right? Now, when I previously have thought about that verse, I just think of this incredible intimacy Jesus had with the father. So he's walking along and he sees like somebody sick and he sees it through the father's eyes and sees the potential to heal, yeah? And heals the father. He sees like just intimacy with like obedience to the father, even to the cross. I mean, implications of it are huge, right? Branching out all over the place. But then you realise, like, Jesus lived to be, like, 33. And uh, three years of that were spent in ministry. The other 30 or 20 from the time he was a teenager were spent as, like, a carpenter. Or, like, a builder. And I wonder, not I wonder, I'm convinced that it does, that this verse still applies. That the son only does what he sees the father doing. That that doesn't only apply to the miraculous three years of Jesus' life, but also applies to the previous 20 where he was carving out blocks or building door frames or... Whatever it was that he did with his hand, you see that like Jesus didn't just arrive on the earth as a fully formed human ready to give like ministry for three years and then disappear again. But he lived life and in doing so shows that there's value in the works that we do. You know, there's nothing that Jesus built with his hands that didn't then eventually rot or go away or you know what I mean, none of the stuff is still standing. But there was value in what? Like I only do what I see the Father doing, and that, that included a life that he spent as as a builder, working, working with his hands. And I think the value that we can see is that we get to work with, with our Father and stuff. 
And I know this is big and it can seem detached from Terry, like, what the, how do I work with McFarland going selling wall or mal, writing lines of code or managing a team, whatever it is. Um, but here's an example I thought about during the, during the week. When I was a kid, my dad worked, my dad worked for Pat the Bakers, you know, the, the bread guys. And from the time I was a kid, every Saturday morning he'd bring me out, like, uh, working with him. From the age of like four or five, sounds like I'd sit in the van with him. He even got my, um, my auntie, like, sold me a little, um, you know, like the shop coats that they wear? Like this blue thing with yellow collar. I don't remember the Pat the Baker ones, right? But I'm like this size, with a little mini shop coat going around on Saturdays, delivering bread with them, right? And look, could I, was at four or five, was I adding anything to the, to the workload or taking anything? It's probably more work for my dad to do with me alongside on a Saturday. But he was teaching me the value of work. I used to get paid, get paid a fiver every Saturday and we'd stop in a post office on the way home, one of the places I'd shop and I'd lodge it into a bank account. He's teaching me how to save. He's teaching me like, like looking after money. He's teaching me responsibility. Like did I enjoy getting up at like half four in the morning get to be able to roll before the shop's open? Probably not. Did I enjoy getting splinters in my hands from the breadboards trying to lift stuff in and out? Probably not. But I loved, loved, loved working with my dad every week. I love just I love just being with them. I love just hanging out with them. I love looking like them in the little shop coat thing, like looking like a little version of them. As I looked up, it was about and my dad like getting me to do work wasn't about stuff that he needed done, yeah? It was about him wanting me to be with him. And and do you get the parallel I'm, I'm looking at here is that is that God your father wants you to work alongside him. Yeah? It wasn't like my dad had an ambition for me to be a bread man when I grew up or anything like that. It was just, he just wanted to be with me and I wanted to be with him. And I think that work in that way, regardless of what the nature of it is, that we can know that we're at work with the Father. Jesus says, whatever I see the Father doing, that's what I'm doing. And that involved his, his work. Not just the moments that made it into the scripture. Yeah, like the big highlight moments, feeding the 5,000, all that sort of stuff. But the making breakfast in the morning and the hanging out with the lads and the, the, the things he needed to do to maintain where he lived or, or, or walk from place to place or like, like the everyday stuff that he sees the Father at work in that. Jesus is the firstborn of the new creation, the new Adam, sets the scene, sets the standard for what the new humanity can look like. And what I'm trying to hold out to you is that you can know the joy of your Father in whatever it is that you do. Whether it is like delivering bread or working for a church or whatever. I'm trying to say is there's no Christian work and non-Christian work. There's only Christians and non-Christians. That we get to work with them and we get to, to work for them. The second thing, right? So God wants to be present in your work and you be aware that he's with you. That like tangibly not just with you in this room for the, for the hour or so on Sunday morning or when the music is playing and you're aware of it. But what if we could live whatever we're doing with awareness of the presence of God, like day to day, right? So with you, and then the second thing that he does to redeem work, he says um, in Colossians, Paul writes, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it's the Lord Christ you are serving. So Paul, he's taken, what he's trying to say is, taking all of the stuff that people need to do, and he's like, you see that it has an eternal perspective, right? We might live in the middle kind of time of where work is broken. You know, the fall happens and the ground is cursed. And it's like with thistles are producing. There'll be pain in childbirth. And all that stuff that we're still living with, some of the effects of, but that Jesus has begun to reverse and will completely reverse in the new heavens and the new earth. By the way, in the new heavens and the new earth, there'll be work. But it will be a blessed work. It won't be a work where you're striving. It'll be that kind of worshipful, fully work. We live in the in-between time. That's why it's important to understand where we 
are in the story, that we get to live as like a prophetic space of saying, no, I'm going to be as much as I can aware of how God is at work with me right now, of whatever it is I'm doing, bookkeeping, like that my father is with me as I'm doing bookkeeping, becoming more like him, I'm blessed, like I mean, we have an awareness of who he is. But this, Paul then says, like whatever you do, work as if you're working for the Lord, meaning that, Lorraine, you don't work for Google, you work for Jesus. Now what does, how does that shape what you do from, from week to week as a witness that Jesus is with you in your work and that you actually work <laughs> for him that somehow God takes all of the things that we have done, right, across the world and when he returns, like they're combined into his, into his kingdom. I'm trying to say there's not holy and unholy work per se. It's, it's, just, it's just people who are switched on the plans and purposes of God will know his presence in it and will work as if they're working for God and there's people who, who haven't got there yet and I don't know that yet but the implications of that are huge right and I won't go into them this is why it's one of our it's one of our practices and, and so in some way this whole sermon, sermon series has been this way you get up and have like half an hour to talk to you about forgiveness right but realistically this is something you live out for the rest of your life. We're half an hour to like try and give a theological basis for work and faith. But realistically, what we're saying is, as we go on, we're going to be knitted into a community where together we're figuring this stuff out. We're working side by side in it. We're wrestling with it. We're encouraging one another. We're praying for one another. And we're, 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 we're sharing scripture with one another, helping each other to get to that perspective. The expectations that you leave here after I've spent 30 minutes speaking about something and all of a sudden, now the rest of your work life feels like productive and you know Jesus in it and you know because that's not realistic if it was realistic I preached the same sermon five years ago you'd already be experiencing that right now right what, what is the, 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 the pattern is that can we can we be shaped in such a way that we call one another to this and we remind one another and when work is a struggle and is a pain we pray for one another and walk and help them see the blessing that God has given us to be able to work when we're out of work and we're struggling with what's my purpose here now that we're alongside one another and encouraging us to chunk out the responsibilities that God has given us can still give him glory, can still be means of, of worship, that we would work on to God. And so my prayer and my hope for the church as we grow is that we would we would realise we wouldn't be people who are looking for like some work life balance, but we'd be people who say, like God, will you be in it all? Like in all of me. And that doesn't mean I'm going to have to change my job and do a Christian job, but it means that I'm going to be a Christian doing my job. I'm going to be a follower of Jesus wherever I go. That, yeah, that might look like evangelism. Yeah, that might look like ethical stuff. But more than that, it looks like wonder and worship and satisfaction and be able to see that it's good. And it looks like living as a witness in the kingdom where I work as if I'm working for Jesus. That means that my boss gets better work than he deserves. That means my customers get better service than they deserve. That means my co-workers get treated better than they deserve because I'm not working for them, I'm working, I'm working for the Lord. Um, and our commitment as we go, looking back on all these practices, reading the word, communion, fellowship, um, forgiveness, generosity, working like with, with holy intent, like, like practicing mercy and justice, all these things that we said we're going to be committed to that we want to, in the coming weeks and months, just begin to like put our like put our feet where our mouths have been, yeah. Not just like speak it from a Sunday and assume what's going to happen, but that Jesus would knit us together in a way that um, we actually get to experience and walk this stuff out and practice it, as in 
we'd be better at it tomorrow than we were today, better at it the next day, better at it a year from now. But it's not expected that tomorrow, <laughs> we're the finished product, right? Unless Jesus returns tomorrow, all this stuff is done away with, right? Uh, but until then, we'll be people who are committed to that. And I, I want to pray for you, I want to pray for your work, but I also want to finish up by, by praying that um, just that we would have the courage to, to walk out that stuff. We would have the, the find the joy in it and know what it, know what it looks like to, to delight in the Father and to, to, to grow in Him day after day, that our expectations would be lifted. And that as our expectations are lifted, like our experience would be, would be lifted, and that would be faith that then prompts something of an experience in God. So let me, let me pray that way. Um, Lord, I thank you for... Um, Look, I thank, you for, I thank you for this truth that we have around work, right? But I'm aware of it, and even as I speak about it, there's a, there can be just a disconnect. Like, okay, yeah, I can agree that that's true, but Monday morning, here's what happens. And then, um, I pray, Jesus, like that your word would just be powerful and effective, that we wouldn't ever be people who say, well, Monday morning, here's what happens, therefore, Sunday morning can't be true. Instead, we would say, if Sunday morning is true, then God bring that face to face with whatever Monday morning throws at me. And I pray that we call that we planted in your truth. And that out of your great love for us, that you call us into these rhythms, these practices, these ways of being with you and with one another. And in that love you will cause us to grow in them day after day. I pray that you would knit us together, Lord, in a way that, that genuinely like encourages and calls out the best that's in that's in one another. When one is low, the other will pick them up. When one is, is high, the other will celebrate with them, Lord God. That, that, that genuinely, Lord God, we would be what you have described and reward us to be, which is, is your body. And I pray specifically, Lord, our work situations now, Lord. I pray for those who are out of work and struggling uh, with, with identity, Lord God, that you, would, that you would meet them in that, Lord, and show that you made them, Lord God, full and complete, Lord, and have a plan and purpose for them, Lord. Pray for those who are struggling in jobs that they don't, they don't like, Lord God. I ask, Father God, that whatever you do, whether it's a movement of a job or whatever, I pray, though, that they, as they go to work on Monday morning, that they will have a perspective of seeing you at work with them, that it will be a place where they know you tangibly, and it will be a place where you shape them and grow them, Lord God, a place that they will come to enjoy, Lord God, um, as they work on to Lord. I pray for those of us in jobs like looking to, to progress or those where, where we have jobs and because we're not like just working for you or we're working maybe on a deeper level for like approval or money or whatever. Lord, I pray for those people and myself included that we be freed from those ambitions, we be freed from those motivations and we'll be able to work for your glory and onto you, being free from that stuff, Lord God, so that it doesn't like encroach on our lives in ways it shouldn't. I pray that more than having a work and life balance in our lives, that we just know you in all things, in everything, Lord, whatever we're doing, that we do it onto you, and that we do it with you, Lord God, and that we will be getting glory in that as we see you more and more. In Jesus' name, amen.